welcome. It's so great to have you guys all here this morning. Um, it is such a blessing for me to be able to have the opportunity to um, speak today. So thank you for this opportunity. Um, also, thank you all for being here. I realize that it is Super Bowl Sunday. Um, and that it was probably a little bit more challenging for you to get here this morning because of that. You're thinking like, you know, the nachos later and all those sorts of things. So thank you for being here. Um, and before we get started, I would just love to pray for us. So, um, Lord, thank you so much for just the gift of today and the fact that you're here with us. Um, thank you, God, for giving me words, Lord, that I can now share. I pray that these words would just draw us so much closer to you. We love you. Amen. So, I recently started listening to podcasts. I got a new phone, so it's this new fun thing that I like to do. And um, with the recommendation of Pastor Bob, I've been listening to this series called This American Life. And they actually follow this man, and it, there's a, a title on there called Batman. Um, so, I don't know if you've heard about this man, but his name is Daniel Kish, and he is actually a blind man. So what's cool about Daniel, though, is he rides a bike, despite the fact that he is blind. And so here's a picture of him riding the bike. And if, if you don't believe me, there's YouTube videos of it. He really does. And the thing, though, is Daniel just doesn't think that that's very amazing or abnormal. And the reason being is because he does this thing called echolocation, which I don't know if you've heard of it before, but it's kind of like what bats do or dolphins. So he, he clicks like to get an understanding of his environment. Um, and it's really cool because he actually believes that blindness is not a real thing. And he thinks that he can see. Um, and his argument as well is that Blindness is actually a social construction. And what I mean by a social construction is a series of beliefs, boundaries, and behaviors that people have towards a certain group of people. Now, you're probably thinking, no, blindness is a real thing, Rihanna. What are you talking about? But <laughs> he would argue no. And um, he believes that actually society really, really limits the abilities of those who are blind. Um, by providing services that actually don't really help. And, and while they're trying to be helpful, they just kind of prove to be unhelpful. And that actually society really narrows the possibilities of those who are blind. And so the reason he's even able to really make this claim, though, is because neuroscientists started to do research on people who echolocate, like Daniel, who are blind. And so there, I'm going to have a slide that will be pulled up that will kind of show this uh, experiment. And what they did is they... Um, they tracked his brain activity when he was watching an object. And, well, watching, I mean clicking. So he's clicking as he's watching this object. And what's fascinating is that the part of his brain that processed the sound was actually his visual cortex, which is the part of his brain that should be, like, where we process sight, right? See, the thing that's really interesting is that your eyeballs, right, they don't actually process sight. You're not seeing from them. They're just kind of like a lens. What is actually processing sight is your brain. And so the part of his brain that processes sound is actually sight. So he, he claims he can see. And so the doctors were like, well, let's see how well he sees. I mean, this is pretty crazy. How, how can he determine between objects? And, and they actually believe that the acuity or the clarity at which he sees is equivalent to our peripheral vision which is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, so for me, I was like, that is absolutely 
mind-blowing. <laughs> and I think as I started to think about this, I thought, how did he even, like, you're probably thinking, how did, how did he develop this skill? And they actually interview his mom in the podcast. And what she says is that at a very, very young age, Daniel began clicking. Um, and in fact, most children who are blind at a very young age do click. But society tells them, oh, don't click, or classroom teachers will encourage not to, or their parents may, because it's maybe not most very socially acceptable to click all the time. Uh, but for Daniel's mom, she really gave him the permission to click and to discover his environment, um, to kind of learn how, how to see. Um, and so I think that her perception of her son has always been that he was just as capable as any other person. I mean, she believes he was so capable of, of things that, she, I mean, he now sees. Um, and so I've been saying this word perception, and this is a really important word for us as we go farther in our discussion this morning. And what I mean by perception is the way you think about or understand someone or something, or the way you notice or understand something using one of your senses. So I think that Daniel has always perceived himself as someone who is able to live a full life. And so at a very, very young age, Daniel developed a skill that now allows him to see. And so it's really clear that this story is pretty inspiring. It's pretty amazing. Um, and I don't know about you, but for me, when I hear something like this, I it gets me thinking about my own story. It gets me thinking about my own perception of myself. And so I started asking myself, so what are the perceptions that I have of myself? And today I'm, I'm going to ask you the same question. What perceptions do you have of yourself? And as I really started to process this, process this I began to realize that our perceptions of ourselves affect the way that we live our lives. Our perceptions determine our actions. And so we're going to delve into this idea in a little more detail, and we're going to use a story in the Bible to guide us. Because we know that there are stories of, of people who are blind in the Bible and in healings, and so we're going to go to one of those now. And we're coming in on the scene. It's in Mark 8, and we're in the middle of Jesus's public ministry. And so he has already, I mean, he just recently fed the 5,000 with very, very little food. So we know that he is performing miracles and, and doing really amazing things. And I'm going to read the whole part of scripture and then we'll kind of break it down from there. So it's Mark 8, 22 through 26. And it says, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. And so, Pastor Bob has taught me a lot about reading the Bible. He's told me that, you know, there are two really important things when you're reading scripture. And, and one is kind of this general flow or key narrative throughout the Bible. Big key themes, ideas. Um, and also, though, the details are really, really important. And so, he, he always says this thing, the Bible thinks you're smart. And so, it wants it is asking us to really 
question, why, why is that in there and why is that not in there? Why, why, is, why are certain details included or other ones not? And so I would say that the first thing I notice about this piece of scripture is that the people were begging for Jesus to touch the man. And when I think about it, there have probably been very few times in my life that I've actually had to beg. And it was probably when I was little and I was asking my mom for like a cookie or something like that or my dad. And, you know, they said no. That's probably about the only time that I can imagine that I would ever beg. And I think that there is such desperation and vulnerability to begging. And so I think this man's life probably called for pretty desperate measures. What I also really love is that they wanted Jesus to touch him. And this tells us that the very presence and touch of Jesus is really powerful. And I don't know if you remember, but there's this story in the Bible of this woman who has been bleeding for years, and she's in a crowd, and she simply touches Jesus' cloak and is completely healed. He said he knew he felt power leave him. And so the presence of Jesus is powerful, right? The presence of Jesus in our lives is powerful. And the Bible says that Jesus led the man by his hand. And so I can imagine that he probably wasn't like Daniel Keish and probably couldn't ride a bike (laughs) nor walk without assistance. Um, It is possible and probable that this man had a very hard life. In fact, we know that blind people in Jesus' time were really looked down upon. In John 9, in another story of Jesus healing a blind man, The disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, people in Jesus' time believed that blindness was actually caused from sin. Therefore, we can assume that this man was probably a social outcast, for sure. And so we know that Jesus takes him outside of the village. He takes the man away from the place where there are preconceived ideas about who he is. Jesus changes his surroundings, and I wonder if part of it is because he knows that the perceptions that surround us can really affect the way that we live. And have you ever been in that spot in your life when you're in a hard place and you just feel like you need to to get out or away or away from your, your space, like, I just need, I just need to get, get out of this, right? And it's intuitively embedded inside of us. We sometimes know that we have to leave a place to be healed or to get healthy. But I love this next moment. I'm going to get some water, too, because I'm getting a little parched here. But I love this next moment. And it's when Jesus asked him, I'm going to read it again because I just think it's really pivotal. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And I love that he asks because he's Jesus. I think he knows if the guy can see. I mean, he's fully divine, right? He's been healing. He like raises people from the dead. I think he knows. And yet, a part of me likes to like, I love to imagine like, like, okay, did it work? You know, but I I don't think that's the case. I don't. And what I think is that Jesus does know what the man sees, but something in the question is so important. He asked, do you see anything? Because one, he wants to know that what the man sees is accurate or not. And two, he wants the man to actually believe himself that he can in fact now see. The thing is, Jesus wants to know what we see. 
He wants to know if we see accurately because our perceptions determine our actions. And have you ever been in this spot too when you're learning something new and um, instead of, um, you know, just telling you how to do something, the person asks you instead, right? Like, okay, show me or t- describe to me. And I actually had this experience. I was, I was an un- when I was an undergrad, I took this biology class my freshman year and it was a hard class because it's biology. And I remember that... Um, I was just really confused about a lot of things. So I would go to my professor's office because I was kind of one of those goody two-shoe students. And um, instead of, like, answering my questions, he would, he would sit there and he would, at, he would ask me questions in return. So I would be like, Dr. Percival, I don't understand this. And he would, in, in turn, ask me to describe something else that was related to it. And actually, I have this one memory. Um, it wasn't very kind of him, and yet I think... I get what he was trying to do. Um, he, I tried this explaining something and got really confused and didn't explain it very well. And I was nervous. And he said to me, Rihanna, if you would like to order a pizza, oops, there we go. If you'd like to order a pizza with toppings, you actually have to know what a pizza is. <laughs> it was not very kind. But what I think he was trying to do is be a good teacher, right? He was. Um, even though it wasn't the kindest. <laughs> but Jesus wants to know what the man, that the man knows he can see. He wants to know him, for him to know that he can see. And he doesn't tell him, he kind of allows him discover, to discover it. And I can also imagine, though, that being in the physical presence of Jesus was pretty powerful. I mean, we already know that from his touch, he's powerful, right? So um, I think that being in his presence probably made you believe like you could do about anything. That if you were blind, that you could actually see. I mean, Peter walked on water, right? And I think a large part of the healing was so much more than than physical. His healing was really of the soul, of, of the beliefs, the boundaries, and the behaviors that people had about him, the social constructions that people had made about this man. Jesus believed that the man could see, and he wanted him to believe that too. That's why he asked him, do you see anything? And what the story doesn't tell us, but what I really wonder, is what does Jesus see? It is clear that Jesus sees something inside this man. He takes the time to take him outside the village. He could have just healed him immediately right there and been done with him, right? But Jesus is in the business of taking time with people like this man and with us too. I think that Jesus takes his time with him because he wants to undo all the deeply ingrained perceptions others had of him. And can you imagine? Jesus is a very popular guy. A lot of people want his time and attention. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that right, you know, right before he... um, fed the 5,000, that he was sitting on this mountainside, and that great crowds of people came to him to be healed. But this story in Mark, which is the only one recorded in the Gospels, takes the time to slow down and tell us the details. Jesus really gives this man his value back, and he gives him a sense of possibility. The story is so fascinating to me when we realize, though, that the man was not completely healed at first. Um, There are stories in the Bible when Jesus heals immediately, right away, so we know he's capable of it. 
But the first time Jesus spits and lays his hand on the man's eyes, it says that he saw people like trees, right? So probably kind of like fuzzy images. And I don't know about you, but when I read this, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like Daniel Quiche. That's what he sees. Like in my brain, I just thought, oh my gosh, that would be the, that's the coolest if it was similar, you know? And it's not theological or biblical, but it, it just got me thinking, like, what if this was similar, right? And I have a really, really important question today, and that is, do we know how Jesus sees us? And, and I want to ask you, do you know how Jesus sees you? And do you experience God in a way that gives you sight? When you close your eyes and you imagine God and what he thinks of you, what do you see? For some of you, I know that if you're being honest, you think of all your imperfections. You think that God's this God that's mad at you and that he wants you to be perfect. And you think of what you did last weekend that wasn't the greatest. You think of this week, all the things that you could have done, right? You see your glaring imperfections. But the, the thing is that I think that the way that we see ourselves, the way that we perceive ourselves, actually affects the way we live. And also, the way that we imagine God seeing us, it's more than just affecting the way that we live and affecting our actions. It affects who we actually become. And see, it's so important. And the Bible talks a lot about how Jesus sees us, right? Or how God sees us. And and it says right here, it says, the Bible says, you are a chosen people, You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. 1 Peter 2.9. And in Genesis, it says that you were created in God's image, the very creator of this entire world in his image. Zephaniah 3.17, the kids just memorized this in children's ministry, by the way, but the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so, if you really believed that this is how Jesus sees you, how would you live differently? Because remember, our perceptions determine our actions. Our perceptions affect the way that we live. Our perceptions affect who we become. And if you knew that he has chosen you and that you are holy to him and that he has called you, right, called you into light, this wonderful light, what would you do? How would you live your life? And how would you spend your time? What job would you do? And, and how would you do your work, right? How would you talk to your loved ones or your coworkers? And then this is really, really key. How would you talk to yourself? Because I know myself, and sometimes I don't have the nicest conversations with myself. I said, Rihanna, that was so stupid. Oh, my gosh, you know? We do that, right? You know, and would you ever say that to someone else? No, but you say it to yourself. And, and two, so that self-talk, how would you even, 
how would you feel about yourself? So we know that God feels so much love for us, but how, how would we feel? And maybe for some of you, getting a correct picture or image of how he sees you would mean that you would make some changes in your life. You would start living in God's reality of how he sees you and not other people's perceptions. And for others, you would just maybe kind of just take a deep breath. You would kind of just settle into maybe into who you are and the life that God has given you. And you wouldn't always be expecting perfection. And, you know, I know that God wants us to be a holy people and he wants us to um, to grow in sanctification, become more like him, but, but maybe you would just settle into this life, right? And when I say how he sees you, right, like knowing how he sees you, I mean really know. Because there are some of you, and probably a lot of you in this room, that hear it all the time, God loves you, God loves you, he died for you. Like you hear it, right, but you don't believe it. And so I'm wondering, does your heart really believe it? Because I've heard, and I don't know how true this is, but there's approximately 18 inches from your head to your heart. And I know that that's a really long journey. It's 18 inches, but it's long. And so is this knowledge that you have, is it part of your reality? Because remember how we defined perception. We said perceiving something means experiencing it with one of your senses. So do we experience the love of God? Do we experience his sight? Because if you did, I think it would dramatically transform your life. It would be transformative. I think it's so important that we grasp onto this because remember, our perceptions determine our actions and our perceptions determine who we actually become. Now, I want to kind of bring it ground level here and just make you start thinking about some people in your life. So the first uh, I want you to think about is someone maybe who you just know by their, either their presence or things that they've said to you that they don't believe in you. They just don't believe in you. And, and I want you to think about how you act around those kinds of people, right? Um, I know that I like fight for love or affection or attention, you know, you, you kind of you do that. Or you become like you shrink into yourself and you become this half version of who, of who you really are. Right? And, and this could be a parent, a sibling, a coworker, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, right? And, and we've all been in these places before, right? Where, where we're with people or around people that, that we kind of live out this perception that they maybe have of us. And, and I'm sure we've all had them, right? We've all had these spots. And, and they kind of leave us just really confused and blind about who we are. But now I want to turn it around. And I want you to think about someone that you've had in your life that truly cares for you and believes in you and thinks that you are capable and a wonderful person. And for me, one of my favorite people in this world is a mentor I had in college. And um, my name is Shannon. I met her my junior year. I was a resident assistant in the dorms at Westmont, which is this small school in Santa Barbara. And She was my RD, which means that she was my direct supervisor, but also that role has in it very much a connotation of of mentor. And so we would meet weekly. We would have these things called indies or one-on-one, which means you just like hang out together. And we'd go to coffee or we'd hang out in her apartment and talk. And and that whole year, um, 
she would, we would just talk about our lives, and I remember that she would ask me a lot of questions, and then she would do this thing, and I realized it when I was writing this, too. She would do this thing where she'd listen very, very intently. She asked me a lot of questions, and she would listen very intently, and we'd talk, and, and I think what she was listening for is how I perceived myself. She was listening for words or, or things that I would say just about who I was and, and, how, and how God has gifted me or not gifted me, you know, all those things. So she would listen. And, and then she would do this thing, and, and if anyone knows her, they know that she has the best, like, soul stare alive. And she would do it. She would, like, lock eyes with me and pierce my soul. I don't know if you know people that do that. She does that. She would pierce my soul. It's like she knew everything, right? Like, she's just like, here I am, so vulnerable. You're staring into my eyes. And she would just speak beauty and truth over me and, like, to me. And sometimes it was really powerful, and it would make me cry. I mean, there's many times I cried. I've cried with that woman. And then other times, it would be like I'd be walking through the dining commons, and she'd spot me, and she'd like, like, eye me, and then walk, like find me, like push through people and find me and grab me, and she'd be like, Rihanna, you're a kind, capable, gifted, wonderful woman of God, and then kiss me and just walk away. And I'd just be standing there like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but it was powerful. And, you know, I can guarantee you guys, I would not be here, standing here in this moment, if it was not for her. Because I was on a track to be a physical therapist, and that would have been a great job, and I'm sure it would have been fine. But it just wouldn't have been what God really desired for me. And it wouldn't have expressed truly who I am. And, and so what Shannon did with her presence, her questions, and her words was she helped give me sight. She helped me to see more clearly who God has always called me to be. In her presence, I felt, and still to this day, feel so loved and so capable of being the person that my heart has always wanted to be, but just didn't sometimes know how to get there. And so another question I have for you this morning is, is are you a person that helps others see themselves more clearly? Do you help others give them sight? One of my favorite stories of impeccable and like really incredible parenting comes from uh, a girl that is currently a student at Azusa Pacific. I oversaw her last year, but I would consider her a friend. And she was talking about her dad, and she was talking about just her relationship with him, and he had played a very formative role in her life. And she said that one time she was saying something particularly bratty, not very kind to her mom. And I'm sure if you're a parent, you can't relate to that at all, right? (laughs) But she said that her dad saw her say it, and that he grabbed her hand, and he pulled her aside. She said he kind of like leaned down on her face, and he said, Carly, you are breaking my heart. You are not that girl. You're not the the girl that just said that mean thing to your mom. You know who you are? You are someone who is kind and compassionate and full of grace and strength. And you say things that encourage people and lift people up. You don't bring people down. That's, That's not Carly. And, you know, the first time she told me that, I thought, oh, my goodness, that's an incredible parent. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Right? I mean, it's amazing, but it was formative. It was so formative. And I try to keep that story in the forefront of my brain when I'm over there with the kids. And it's it's a hard thing to do, right? But I I try to keep it at the forefront of my brain because while 
it's important that they learn Bible stories. I want them to learn things about God, right? And I want them, um, I want there to be order in the classroom, and I, I, I want it to be a really fun experience and all those things. But, but at the end of the day, I have to ask myself, have they felt loved by me? Do they perceive themselves to be loved by me and the people that are in this room? And, and do they know that God loves them? Do they know that that's how he sees them? Have they left the room with that perception? Do they know that they need Jesus? Do they know that he will forever give them sight in this world that can be really dark and confusing? Right? And some of them already know it because they're, they're smart. <laughs> they, are, they already know it. But, but I want them, when they leave, do they know who they are and who they're capable of becoming? Do they feel that? See, my friend Carly was pretty young when that happened to her, but, but she is what her dad said she is. When, she, when he said she is, to be, you are kind and compassionate, mean, that's who Carly is. And so it gave her a vision for who she could be, and she is that girl today. See, I think we carry a lot of images in our head. There are a lot of perspectives and perceptions competing for our attention. But what I know is God looks upon you and you and you and you and me with favor and with grace and with eyes of love. And so practically speaking, like what can we do to start to see ourselves with the eyes that Jesus sees us? And so one, I think it just begins by simply asking him for sight. Asking him for healing because the thing is, I think sometimes we're blind because we've been hurt. People have hurt us, and we're confused about who we are because we've been hurt. And, and so the first thing, I, I just think we have to ask him for healing and for sight. Um, because remember, our perception of ourselves, if they're inaccurate or not true, really do blind us, and they affect the way that we live our lives. And two, I think... We have to surround ourselves who reflect who we are and what we're capable of being right back to us. For me, it was my mentor, Shannon. And as I'm going through life, I, when I find someone that is able, and it's not like she doesn't, she, there was things that she said that were hard too, like there's sometimes honest conversation, you know, but, but as I find them throughout my life, I just want to like grab onto them and like, Please, teach me. Help me see myself better. Help me see God better, please. And as I find them, I just want to grasp onto them. And so for you, who is that for you? Who helps you see more clearly? Who helps you see God more clearly and how he actually views you? And if you don't have someone in your life like this, why not? What's stopping you? I think it's so important. And three, I think we need to remove ourselves from those situations or those people who blind us. And the last part of the healing story, if you remember, Jesus tells a man, don't even go into the village. And while Jesus is often kind of like secretive and on the DL all throughout the Gospel of Mark, I think it's also because he knew that if the man went back into the village, that the perceptions that people had of him, all those old ones, would be really hard to shake. And, and can you imagine, like, the guy walks in the village and he's like, you guys, I was just with Jesus and I can see. And they're like, no, no, you're the blind guy. 
He's like, no, no, I'm serious. I was just with Jesus. There was like these fuzzy things, and then he put it on my hand again, and now I'm fully sight. I have full sight. They're like, no, no, you're blind. No, no, no. Am I blind? Can you imagine? Like, I can just see him going back into the village, and people, no, that's what you are. You're blind. And him getting lost. Can I see? Was, was I with Jesus? Can I see? And, you know, for some of you, maybe you have, feel like, oh, I am blessed. I'm in this spot in my life when I think I see, like, as well as I can in this moment. I see pretty clearly the love that God has for me. Maybe that's you, and praise God for that, right? Praise God for that. But for you then, who this week can you pray about that, that maybe you feel like kind of needs a hand? And, and, just, and just to walk with, to, to speak truth into their life, to speak who, who, they, who they are, right? To encourage them. Who, who maybe needs sight that's around you? And you know, we're all on this journey. We're, we, as we go through life, God keeps revealing things to us, right? He's in the, he's, he's in the business of, of bringing things to light and helping us see ourselves more clearly. So we're all on a journey. Um, but I do know, though, that the way that we see ourselves really does affect the way that we live. Our perceptions affect our actions, and our perceptions affect who we become. And so while Adwa comes back up and the worship band, um, I just want us to kind of go back to Daniel Keish, too. And see, he actually runs an organization now where he teaches blind children how to echolocate or click. Um, he's made it his life's purpose to try to help those who are blind have just a larger sense of possibility, just a, a larger um, vision for what their life could look like, right? Um, but the thing that he says is really, really hard about this job is it's not the technical aspect of, of clicking, but what's actually really hard is is making society believe that this is actually possible, to breaking down those social constructions. The social constructions are bigger than the actual problem of blindness. And, you know, I've talked a lot in the last few moments about how people in our lives can affect the way that we live, right, and their perceptions of us. But, but in the end, I just want to remind you that, that the perception that matters most is that of Jesus, and we know how he sees us. We already know he sees us with love and with grace. And so in this week, I just really encourage you to take the time to just ask Jesus for sight. And whatever that means for you. I don't know what that means in your particular situation or your particular life. But, but I encourage you to ask him for sight and to kind of let him grab your hand and take you out of the village, take you out of whatever perceptions you maybe have right now that are, that are unhealthy or untrue, and let him pull you aside and, and, and put his hands on you and give you sight and open your eyes to the things that are true about you and about how he sees you.